Good morning, church family. My name is Emily and I serve with our kids and students. I have two exciting announcements for you as we begin our time of worship together. First, as you know, February is Black History Month. We're thankful to have this opportunity as a community of Christ followers to intentionally reflect upon and celebrate the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. Throughout this month, we'll be sharing with you some hand-picked gospel-centered resources from our pastoral team. These are both by and about African-American leaders within the church. Our worship leaders have curated a custom playlist featuring African-American Christian artists for you to enjoy in the car or at home with your family. During this month, we'll also feature a dramatic reading along with an engaging conversation between our senior pastor and a member of our church family. Our prayer is that the Lord will use these efforts to edify His church as we further embrace our value that diversity honors God. Stay tuned to our weekly e-newsletter as well as Wheaton Bible Church's Facebook and Instagram pages for more information. Second, there's something really fun happening this Wednesday, February 16th. Do you know what it is? It's the launch of Kids Club. Every Wednesday from 6.45 to 8.15, kids in kindergarten through fourth grade are invited to come play, build friendships, and learn from God's Word. Registration is open and there's no cost to join. We are thrilled that a lot of kids have already signed up, which has created more room on our volunteer team for teens and adults to join in the discipleship of our kids. If you love Jesus and you love kiddos, consider this your invitation to join our Kids Club team. To sign up or learn more about serving in Kids Club, check us out online at wheatonbible.org slash kidsclub. That's all the announcements for this week. Thanks for worshiping with us. Good morning, family of God. Good morning. It's wonderful to be together, to gather as brothers and sisters in person and online to remind ourselves of our eternal hope and our salvation found in Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Jonathan took us through Psalm 96 and we focused on worship. So as we begin our worship this morning, listen to these words from Psalm 96, 2 through 4. Sing to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. We'll start with a song by Dr. Tony Payne using those words and to remind us of scripture's proclamation. Let's stand together. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim his triumph day by day. Declare his glory, declare his glory to the nations. Great is the Lord and worthy of all praise. Glory and majesty must end Declare his glory. 
blessing ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our Brother, all who live in love are Thine. Teach us how to love each other, lift us to the joy divine. James 2, verses 14 to 17 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Church, pray with me. Father, thank you for your 
compassionate heart. Thank you that your love and compassion aren't just words, but that you sent your Son to live and die and rise again for us, for our good and joy in you forever. Thank you that you've seen our need and you meet us where we are. And we ask you, forgive us for so many times ignoring the needs around us, for turning a blind eye and our backs on people who are hurting, who need your church to rise up. Lord, I pray that you give us the mind and the heart of Christ, compassionate hearts that run towards others. We do know by your word that we must love not only in words, but action. Help us, O oh Lord, so that our faith would shine a light, a city on a hill in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Give us much fruit for the glory of your name, for the good of the world and the people around us, trusting that you fill our cups as we give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So as we ask for your forgiveness, we also receive from you your compassion, your love, your forgiveness in Christ. Point us to him and give us his mind and heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing this together. Lord, use our hands. 
You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. In the beginning, God made. God made man in his own image, after his own likeness, fearfully and wonderfully made, dignified and sacred. He was very good, Amago Dei. Enter sin. Soon after, blood was spilled. Am I my brother's keeper? Our relationship with God severed. Our relationship with one another ruined. Thousands of years later, we reap the fruit. We feel the ache. It's been engraved into our history. The anguish of our ancestors cries out. 
shackles. Humans God made, owned, denigrated, and sold by fellow humans. Horrifying, distressing, evil. And this is not just our past. Injustice, segregation, hate, hostility, mistrust, the air we breathe. The animosity, the pride, the hurt, the pain, the struggles, the fear still linger. In your church, O oh Lord, how long will your bride also echo, am I my brother's keeper? How long will your church be silent? How long will your people also be divided along racial lines and build walls that Jesus died to tear down? For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility to reconcile us both to God, one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. The word is clear. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. Pastor John Perkins once said, the problem is that there is a gaping hole in our gospel. We have preached a gospel that leaves us believing that we can be reconciled to God, but not reconciled to our Christian brothers and sisters who don't look like us, brothers and sisters with whom we are, in fact, one blood. There is no institution more equipped and capable of bringing transformation to the cause of reconciliation than the church. The gospel must shine its light. We must view our painful history through the lens of the gospel and believe the gospel is greater than our divisions and more powerful than all evils. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the time is always right to do what is right. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are family. Do we act like it? We are one, but are we known by our love? God is love. He loved us first. So we will love one another, wash each other's feet, welcome one another, honor and celebrate each other, repent, forgive, we will weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. May the church look more like heaven. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It starts with me, with us, our homes, our friendships, our neighborhoods, our church. We long for the day when every wrong will be made right, every tear wiped from our eyes. But as we wait, we labor with hope. We still dream, we still pray, there's still work to be done. We are here for such a time as this, salt and light. For the glory of Jesus and the joy of all peoples, we say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Let's pray. Lord, before we even come before you and ask for anything, God, we just want to praise your name. Lord, we want to say thank you because your gospel is worth living out. Lord, before we ask you for anything, we want to say thank you because never do you change, God. In the midst of life constantly changing, things going on, Lord, we know that we can trust and have confidence that you are always good and that you are always sovereign, Father. So we come before you as a church. We come before you as a family knowing that we can trust and have confidence in you every single day. 
So Lord, I pray for our families. Lord, I pray for our students. I pray for our kids. Lord, that you will allow this series, that you will allow this teachings, Lord, to make an impact on our personal lives. Lord, so that everyone around us, so that our neighbors, so that our, our, our fellow neighborhoods, Lord, that they will see that we are different, not because of us, but only because of what your gospel teaches, Lord, and for what you did for us. So Lord, just as we prayed, Lord, we lift our hands to you because you are the one that lifted your hands first. Lord, thank you for dying on that cross for us, Lord. Thank you for doing that because you know we couldn't do it on our own. So we completely honor, completely bring glory to your name alone this morning. Lord, I pray for the teaching, Lord, uh, from Hannibal, Lord, that you will just allow the spirit to be speaking through him, Lord. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we will continue to worship you through our listening. And Lord, that we will constantly be wondering what can we do in order to live and think of your gospel more in our lives. So everything that is said today, we pray that it comes from you and you alone because you are worthy. Lord, we place in your beautiful name. Amen. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because it prospers. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a senior pastor here in the church. It is a privilege for me to be here this morning. I want to welcome you all again, whether you are worshiping with us in person or you are worshiping with us online. Um, we are so grateful that we get to do this together. Amen? For the last few weeks, we have been doing a series called Gospel Culture, in which we are looking into 12 biblical traits that helps us define what it means to be the church, the church of Jesus Christ, 12 biblical traits that gives us a blueprint of the things that we need to believe and practice in order for us to continue to experience spiritual renewal, um, 12 biblical traits that are kind of uh, tools that are necessary for us to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. Today, we're going to talk about gospel culture trait number five. Let me just make this clear. <clears throat> if you have been walking with us through this series, these are not in a specific order. All of those are important. All of those are inseparable. Today, we're going to talk about the pursuit of the common good. And that's the reason why we read Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. 
And the three questions I'm going to try to answer this morning are this. Why must the church pursue the common good? Why do we need to pursue it? How will, uh, who will respond to God's call? So I need you to do me a favor. Can you please look at the person next to you and say this? Get ready because this is for you. And you could always respond and say, no, no, no. You got this wrong. This is for you. Go ahead, go ahead. Let's go with the first point. Why must the church pursue the common good? Now, before I give you a definition of what I mean and what I think the Bible means uh, by the concept of the common good, I have to give you a little bit of context for the text we just read. Because if you don't get the context of the text, you will lose the importance of what the Lord is calling us to be and do. See, I would like to start by uh, showing you and reading together a very, very, very popular verse. It's one of those verses that I believe that most believers, if not all believers, will find it somewhere in your house or somewhere in your friend's house. It's, kind of, it's one of those verses that you find in a coffee mug or a picture frame or even tattooed in someone's arm. Or maybe used as a screensaver in the computer. It's one of those verses. I know you've seen some of those verses. And I hope I'm not wrong, but I think that every single one of us here have ever heard or read this verse. Matthew, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. All right, how many of us have heard or read that verse before? How many of you guys have that verse in your house somewhere? For those of you that are worshiping with us online, more than half of the group confessed that publicly. Now, that's a beautiful verse. Agree? I think that's an amazing verse. It's these beautiful promises that the Lord gives. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't um, somebody want to have that verse? Why wouldn't you want that verse to be true? Why wouldn't we just put it in the coffee mug, man, and drink your coffee and remember it every day? That's an amazing verse. But I think that you have to pay attention and think about the context. So I don't know what comes to mind when you think of that verse in specific. What comes to mind? What comes to your mind when you think about the plans of the Lord and, and the plans to prosper you and not to harm you and the plans to give you hope and future? I'm going to tell you what comes to my mind the first time I read it. I, I picture this place and a time in which everything is peaceful and beautiful, in which everything is pleasant and there is no pain whatsoever. I don't know if you like the warm weather, but when I, when I read this verse, Hawaii comes to mind. Right? It's, it's you walking by the ocean and the breeze hitting your hair or whatever, you know, you have left of it. And it's, you got this image of peace and joy and you picture and you almost hear the Hawaiian dance somewhere. And maybe you just start collecting rocks and, you know, you throw the rocks in the water and it does the little jumping thing. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture of peace and joy. You know what's interesting, though? That's not the context of that text. That is not the image of that text. When God is saying this to his people, 
He's talking to a group of people that are exiles. That has been transferred from Jerusalem to Babylon. We didn't read this together, but look at chapter 29, uh, 29 verse 1. This is a letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile. I got to confess that the word Nebuchadnezzar took me five years to learn how to pronounce. So if I mispronounce it, I'm an immigrant. And this is super interesting. This letter, this verse that we just try to picture comes in the context of God writing to a bunch of people that are suffering. See, in about uh, mid-500 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar takes the, Israelite, the, the Israelites from Jerusalem and he kills a ton of people there and he takes the best things of the city and takes it to Babylon. And he takes the most capable and brilliant people and takes it to Babylon. This is the story of Daniel and his friends. This is the context of the story of Daniel and his friends. And most likely, this is like second or third generation of exiles living in Babylon. This is most likely second or third generation of immigrants, strangers, and exiles living under the oppression of a Babylonian king. Now, I, I, I don't know if you get that. But if that's your story, and if that's my story, and I've had gone through, the, through this, my feelings toward these people are not the beautiful plans of the Lord for hope and joy and peace and prosperity. But the, it, that's what the Lord says. Actually, I want to show you what God's people felt when they thought about the Babylonians. Now, this is Raider R verse. But because it's in the Bible, we're going to read it. Psalm 137 verse 8 says, Daughter Babylon, this is God's people, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Now look at what he says next. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Can you see? What God's people felt when they thought about the Babylonians. That is the context of Jeremiah chapter 29. And the Lord tell, telling his people, I have plans for you. Plans of prosperity, protection, hope, and a future. In Babylon. You have to stop and think about that for a second. Because it is important for us to keep in mind that when we think about the blessings of God and the plans of God for us, that does not necessarily mean that he is going to take you out of difficult places and take you out from circumstances. That doesn't mean the blessings of God and the plans of God for your life does not say that he's going to remove all the people that make your life complicated and painful and miserable. That's not what the Lord promises. He could do it and he has done it, but that doesn't mean that that is the norm. 
our tendency is to reduce the blessings of God and the, ble- the plans of God for our lives for, uh, to the removal of things that are painful and complicated. Our tendency is to reduce the blessings of God to times and places in which there's no pain involved. And I'm here to tell you that that's not what the Bible says. That is not what God was telling the Israelites here. Now, if you read it with me right, you notice that verse 1 says that it was Nebuchadnezzar, the one that took these people into slavery. Verse 1 says that he carried them into exile. He is the one responsible for this happening to God's people. But if you paid attention to the text when we were reading, there's a phrase that is repeated twice. One one time in verse 4 and then again in verse 7. And it goes like this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And you would say like, Hold on a second. Wait a minute. Wasn't that the Babylonian king the one that did this? Why is God saying that he was the one that he he was the one that carried the people into exile? See, this is one of those things in which you have to believe what the Bible says, even if to us it seems like a contradiction. This is what some scholars will call an antinomy. An apparent contradiction from a human perspective. This is similar to what we have talked about in the past between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, uh, responsibility or the sovereignty of God and prayer. From a human perspective, this seems like a contradiction. It's an apparent contradiction, but from God's perspective, it's not. The Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians And at the same time, God sent them there. Why would that matter? Why would this be so important? Because part of what it means to be a Christian is to understand that because God is in the business of uh, transforming and rescuing this world, the main way God rescues and transforms this world is through his people. Living in exile, exiles that are willing to disadvantage themselves for the sake of others, including their enemies. You see, I've never seen in a coffee mug, or in a picture frame, or in a tattoo, or in a screensaver, the verse that says, love your enemies. Have you ever seen that one? You know why that's not there? Because it won't make money. And yet, we have a God that calls his people to do just that. Now, there's much more than that in this verse. Or in this passage, look at what it says in verse 5. It says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they... um, 
uh, what they're producing, marry and have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not, uh, do not decrease. This is God telling to a group of exiles, become residents. Make Babylon your temporary home. Establish yourself there. Work there, multiply, have kids, and increase in number. Notice that God does not say, run away from everyone that is not like you. Isolate yourself. Um, Isolate yourself from those who have hurt you. Be careful not to get contaminated. Create your own community so you don't mingle with pagans. That's not what he says. He says the opposite. Become a resident alien, if you will. Someone that lives there but knows that belongs somewhere else. Someone that lives there but knows that, that our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven. Someone that is willing to be there exercising what we, we will call faithful presence without compromising convictions. That's what it means to be a Christian in a broken world. Don't run away. Don't hide. Don't do your own little communities. Don't, don't avoid people. Be there. Now, it gets even better. Because not only he calls us to be faithfully present, but the call is even more radical in verse 7. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if he prospers, you will prosper. You too will prosper. Church, this is what it means to be gospel people. God's call for his people is to really care for our neighbors. That's what the word sick means in the original. Really care for, including your enemies. God called his people to bring the concept there is shalom, peace and prosperity to where he has placed you. God's call for his people is to pray for their prosperity. Now, I find that sentence super interesting because there's a reason why God calls us to pray for the people that don't really want you. So pay attention to this. I'll never forget it. It is really hard to hate someone when you pray for them. It is really hard to hold resentment in your heart, in your heart when you pray for the very people that hurt you. Can you see how this is a picture of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment at the same time? This is God calling his people to bring shalom, to contribute to shalom, peace and prosperity. That means to love people enough to care for their whole being, for their body and soul, material and immaterial, physical and spiritual needs. The word shalom in the Bible can be translated as health, welfare, deliverance, salvation, success, wholeness. That's what it means to seek the common good. And God was calling his people to seek for the common good when they were the ones that had been suffering the most. How radical is our biblical faith? How radical is what the Lord calls us to be and do? God calls his people to choose to bless and care. God calls his people to choose to use our talents and abilities for the sake of others. God calls his people to recognize that in his sovereignty, 
You are where you are, placed by God to contribute to what God is already doing. See, that's the difference between a resident alien and a tourist. I don't know if this is your case, but every time I go on vacation, the only thing I want to do is use the place and get out. I'm there to consume. That's why I go on vacation. I'm not there to bring the kingdom here. I'm there to consume, enjoy, and get out. A resident alien is there to work, serve, love, and give themselves for others. A tourist only uses and consumes and gets out. Now, there's something here that I don't want you to miss in verse 7. Right at the end, it says that when the city prospers, you too will prosper. And you got to ask the question, what does that mean? I think that the simple explanation is this. You really don't get to fully experience what it means to be a blessed person. You really don't get to experience. The prosperity word is the word, there is the word shalom. You, never, you really don't get to experience this shalom, the peace of God, the joy of God, the wholeness of God, the completeness of God, the fullness of God, unless you learn to give yourself away for others. You don't get to experience what the Bible says that is better to give than to receive. See, our culture says completely the opposite. Self-centeredness says completely the opposite. Egocentrism says completely the opposite. It is better for me to receive than to give. And the Bible says, and Jesus says, that the more you give, the better it is for you. That to have a self-centered life is not only toxic but destructive. That when we learn to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of other people, you find freedom and joy. That's one of the great ironies in, 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 uh, uh, in, in, modern, in modern day, in modern Christianity, even modern Christianity. See, we have this mix of individualism and autonomy. People say all the time, you got to think of yourself, feel whatever you want to feel, do whatever you want to do, it's your truth, what, who cares what people think? And one end. The same group of people says, but you really got to care for your neighbor. You know what the problem is? Loving your neighbor and self-centeredness cannot go together. It's impossible for you to learn to love anybody else if you love yourself way too much. It is impossible for us to give ourselves for somebody else when we think so much about ourselves. If you really, people, church, if you really want to experience what it means to be blessed by God, Learn to live lives in which you disadvantage yourself for the sake of the very people who don't like you. Can you do that? Someone may say, well, Hannibal, I, I think that you're stretching that text a little bit more. Because, you know, that's, that's the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. Yeah, maybe Jesus said, love your neighbor uh, and love your enemies, but that's not, you know, that's not in the New Testament. You know what's interesting? Peter calls you and me, if you're a Christian, exiles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's people, God's elect, exiles scattered. 
And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says the same thing. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. To be a believer is to be a resident alien. To be a believer means that you don't hide, you don't run, you don't assimilate, but you remember that your citizenship is in heaven. To be a believer means that we are here on mission, that we are not tourists and we are not consumers. To be a believer means that we know that where we are, the Lord has placed us there to care for people, for places and things, to bring shalom, to care for body and soul. We love and words, uh, words and actions. To be a believer means that we pray because it's really hard to hate the very people you pray for. It's very hard to be indifferent for the people you pray for. Did you know that that's part of the reason why the church is called chosen people, royal priesthood, and a holy nation? You know what that means? To be holy means to be set apart, right? To be set apart from something, for something. To be set apart from something, for something. So the next time you read the verse, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, now you know that that is not necessarily that God is taking you out of anything. He's working in you and through you in the midst of a broken world. Can you do me a favor? Can you look at the person next to you and say, that's for you? <laughs> Here's the second question. And this is where we get a little bit more practical. How do we, what do we uh, need to do to pursue the common good? And I'm going to give you three things. Some of these I already mentioned. I just want to make sure that you get what the text says. I think that you have to understand that to pursue the common good is that you, are, that you ought to exercise faithful presence. You know, how, you know how the Lord told them to build houses? What's the difference between buying a house and renting? See, when you rent, you don't care about the house. You don't care about the apartment. You just use it and you get out. But when you buy, you're sticking around. And you're there for a long period of time. And what the Lord was calling his people in exile is to live there and stay there. Faithful presence. And to live intentional lives. So everyone could see who you God is. Did you know that Christianity is a public faith? It's not a private faith. It's a public faith. You know where I get that from? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Actually, that was one of the things that we said, uh, that, that we saw in the video. This is what Jesus says. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, how are people supposed to see your good works if you are running away from them? How are people supposed to see 
your faith in action if we are not intentional and being close to them. I find that verse amazing because it doesn't say, make sure that they hear what you want to say, which is nothing wrong with that. But the emphasis of the text is, make sure that they see how you live. I was yesterday doing a little talk with some of the group in the Spanish-speaking site, and one of the most confronting, uh, and I was sharing with them, uh, that one of the most confronting verses for me is when Paul says, look at my life and imitate my faith. That's radical. Can you imagine if you go to your neighbors and you want to say, you know what it means to be a Christian? Look at how I live. You know what it means to be a good worker? Look at how I work. You want to see what a good marriage is? Look at my marriage. You want to see what good parenting looks like? Look at how I parent my kids. You want to see what generosity looks like? Look at how much I give. Look at my life and imitate my faith. Isn't that what Jesus says? Here's another one, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Once again, this is Peter saying, live in such a proximity to non-believers that they get to see how you live and they ask the question, why do you live like that? And then he says something that I believe we all need to hear today. Our answers are with gentleness and respect. So please, church, don't be annoying. Really, church, please. Please, church, display the fruit of the Spirit. Even when you disagree with people. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the last six years, the verse that I've heard the most quoted by Christians is the one when they, when they look at Jesus' life and, and, and they say that he went into the temple courts and he overturned the tables. That's the one that I keep hearing. Like if that's an excuse for us to be rude and angry and offensive in the name of Jesus. You know what's the difference between Jesus and us? That his motives were pure. He did not need to win. Even in his anger, he was not sinful. And he did it because he loved people. And I wonder if when we turn the tables, that's our motive. Gentleness and respect. Number two, to pursue the common good is to pray. So I want to make you feel guilty just for a second. When was the last time you prayed for the very people you struggle with? When was the last time you prayed and you asked the Lord to bless the people you struggle with? 
When was the last time you prayed for your neighbor or your coworker or anybody that the Lord has placed in your life and is yet to know the loving heart of Jesus? See, I think that one of the mistakes we make as Christians is that we look at people like projects, not as people. And to seek the common good requires that you look at people like, like people, created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and value, and that we pray for them and that we ask the Lord to bless them. Tell me if that is not countercultural. And it's counter modern Christianity too. And number three, to pursue the common good means that you look at your work as a vocation and a call. Even if you have retired. See, the Lord calls these people to plant and to work and to seek the shalom. That's one of the verses that in the Bible explains that your vocation is part of your calling. That your work as part of your calling, that you have been placed by God where you are as the means to bring shalom. That's why we don't have permission to create this spiritual dualism, you know? To say that some things are spiritual and other things are not spiritual. We work as an act of worship. We don't worship work, but we work as an act of worship. And the interesting thing and the beautiful thing is that when we work like that, we are actually imitating God. Are you a farmer? God was the first farmer. Are you a doctor or a nurse? God was the, defar- the, the first divine healer. Do you like to build things? God was the first engineer and the first architect. Do you like numbers? God was the first accountant. Are you an investor, an entrepreneur? God was the one that started everything. Are you an artist? God is an artist. Are you a communicator? Your Savior was a communicator. Are you a teacher? Your Savior was the first teacher. Are you a construction worker? Your Savior worked with his hands. Are you a carpenter? Your Savior was a carpenter. A few months ago, during our missions fest when we collected this special offering, was to help one ministry that is called Hope for Life Center, in which our ministry partner is Josephine. Some of you guys already know who she is. and She's got this ministry in which she, she helps thousands and thousands of orphans and widows and people with HIV in the name of Jesus. And part of the offering we collected was to help her and to contribute to that ministry. I want you to see this video really quick because I want you to see what the Lord does with what we do. Oh, these are the miracles of God. Something that we have prayed for so long. And by miracle, God thank you. The construction is almost complete at the last bit now. See how it is. See how beautiful it is. And the marathon is doing fine work. These are the timbers. These are the timbers for roofing, and it still be complete. We thank God. We thank God. Mission Bible Church, thank you so much for making this happen. This is great love from our God. The building is 
getting complete miracles god our giver thank you thank you yeah you can clap Did you know that in order for that to happen, Josephine had to choose to be a faithful, present person? Stick around. Did you know that that happens because somebody was praying for these people? Did you know that that happens because in this part of the world, there was people like you and me that used our gifts, talents, and generosity to contribute to what the Lord wanted to do? Did you know that that happens because someone in this part of the world had to go to work for the common good and for their common good? Did you know that that happens because God gave you and gave me abilities so we could contribute to that? Did you know that that happens because he gave the gift and the ability of someone out there to picture what the building should look like? Did you know that that happens? Because the God, God gave someone the ability, the wisdom, the discernment to create a brick. Did you know that that happens? Because the Lord chose someone that could, learn, that could use uh, wood and metal and cement. Did you know that that happened? Because God gave someone the gift and the ability to work with their hands. For the glory of his name. And they come in good. Church, I want you to dream. What would DuPage be like? What would Illinois be like? What would this country be like? What would this world be like? If we all believe that. If we believe that we are placed here in our exile for the common good. That it is better to give than to receive. Now, who is going to respond to that call? The ones that already found shalom. Isn't that why Jesus came? To give us the peace of God and to be at peace with God, Romans chapter 5. Do you want health? You have been already spiritually healed you have been given a new nature, a nature. Do you want welfare? You already have welfare. You have, been, you have been forgiven and accepted. You are good. Do you want deliverance? You have been already set free because of what Jesus did. There's no condemnation for sin, and, there, and, and sin has no power over you. Do you want success? In Jesus Christ, you are already successful. God is for you, and God is with you. As Christians, we know that there's something beautiful about giving something away. You know why? Because our God gave away his best for you and for me. As Christians, we know the benefit of having received the blessings of someone disadvantaging himself for our sake. Isn't that the reason why Jesus went to the cross? And emptied himself and became nothing, humbled himself and died for our sins. See, the people that are willing to give shalom is the people that already have it. And you have it. Live accordingly.
to what we already have. Amen? Look at the person next to you and say, that's for you. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you please make of us the people that we're supposed to be. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have not, that we don't have the spirit of cowardness and fear, but we have the spirit of self-control and power. The same spirit that takes us into a broken world to live as exiles, knowing that we are here only for a while, at least the way things are, but that our citizenship belongs somewhere else. And yet, as we're here, we live for a bigger purpose than just personal happiness. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you help us understand and truly believe that it's much better to give than to receive. And that when we give, we experience the shalom that we already have in Jesus Christ. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the church says, our response song today fits so perfectly with this. It asks, it's uh, all the words asking, uh, as if God was asking us, will you do this if I but call your name? So you can either sing along or let it wash over you and let God speak to your heart during this time. Let's stand together. Come and follow me if I but call your name. Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown?
Lord, your summons echoes true when you but call my name. Let me turn and follow you and never be the same. In your company I'll go, where your love and footsteps show. Thus I'll move and live and grow in you. Hey man, before finishing our service, I, I have just three quick things for you. Number one, I want to share with you uh, kind of an initiative that we have uh, for faith and work, uh, which is talking about vocation and calling. I want to let you know that we're going to have an eight-week class uh, that will help you understand how faith and our work and vocation actually go together. This is going to take place from April 5th to the 25th. All you have to do is go to our website, Witten Bible Church slash uh, Faith and Work, uh, and you will find all the information there. So if that's something that, uh, that the Lord is speaking to you about, you might want to join that. Number two, I want to uh, invite Brent Asiko to the front. Uh, you might want to stand on this. There you go. There's a race. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, uh, Brent is the newest... Um, member of the family, right? He's one of the newest executive pastors, so please. So you want to share with us a little bit about you and your family, and then a little bit of what your responsibility is going to be in the church, and how can we pray for you? I'll try to remember all those questions. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Brent Sickle. Uh, my family's up on the screen there, so... Uh, my wife, Beth, and I have been married for almost 17 years and serving in ministry for the last 16 together. Uh, I have four kids. My oldest is Bryn. She's 13, almost 14. And then my boys are Gavin, Kate, and Ian at 11, 9, and 7. Uh, God's given us the privilege to serve in ministry for almost 16 years. I started off as a student ministries pastor in a Chinese church in Metro Detroit. Uh, from there, the last six years, God's called me, and I've been in Ohio uh, serving as both a family pastor and then most recently as executive pastor uh, in Akron. I forget the next question. Um, so what's going to be your responsibility here, more or less, and how can we pray for you? Yeah, so uh, we have the honor and privilege to join Wheaton Bible Church uh, and call uh, you our new family uh, locally and serve here as executive pastor of ministry. So uh, helping give uh, guidance and coaching and mentorship uh, to the teams that lead discipleship and communities from birth through adults. Amen. Praying, how can we pray for you? Yeah, the biggest prayer request is right now I'm here in Wheaton, but my family's back in Ohio. Uh, we sort of made this decision right before the holiday season, and so uh, the housing market is not available right now, uh, but we're praying as houses come back in the market that God would provide a house for our family and then a, a quick transition for us to be able to come here and join as an entire family. Amen. So please pray for Brent, pray for family, pray for a transition. He's going to be sticking around here, so please make him feel loved and welcome. And now let's receive the blessing that the Lord Jesus Christ guarantees for us. And it's going to be a little bit different. So I need you to do me a favor. Can you please stretch out your hands like this just for a bit? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you. And may help you remember that you are chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his wonderful light. And the church says, have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.